And welcome to another fantabulous episode of the OST Party. This is a movie soundtrack podcast where movie fans and music fans get together and have a rockin' good time talking about all of our favorite movie soundtracks. Hi, my name is Joseph Wade. I will be your host for this evening. Here with me tonight, once again, back home for a, an OST reunion, if you will, with my <laughs> lovely and belligerent co-host, Libby Cudmore. Libby, welcome back. Yes, it's good to be back. I'm broadcasting from my new house. Ooh. So yeah, I've got to get in the studio set up so far. The only movie poster I have up is a poster from the Clive Owen film Shoot 'em Up. Of course. Yeah, which is Naturally. essential. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> how are you? How are you holding up? I'm here. I'm alive. Yeah. I'm doing fine. So. Hold up in my house and I mean as we're recording this, quarantine started today. Uh, not for me personally, just for my town. Went on mm-hmm. lockdown today, so it's been good. Yeah. So, uh, for those of you listening, twenty years in the future, we're all uh, broadcasting during the pandemic, the coronavirus COVID nineteen pandemic, which is not fun for anybody. But uh, it's good to you know be putting out some content and hopefully people listen and this will brighten their day and we've actually picked a kind of a fun movie we didn't want to do anything too serious so. yeah we, we we definitely needed one like that this week and uh, as for last week well the blame for that one falls squarely on my head so <laughs> direct direct your angry comments here please oh <laughs> good oh. times oh, and, and thanks I had... again to to jonathan for for uh, filling in. Yeah, John and I had a great time yakking about Mortal Kombat and how silly it is. Um, so. And on that note, I do have the results of our poll for the Mortal Kombat soundtrack. Great, let's hear them. So from our Mortal Kombat poll, I asked you, uh, what was the best song on the Mortal Kombat soundtrack? And with 40% of the vote uh, was the Immortals Techno Syndrome. The Mortal Kombat theme won that poll <laughs> because you people are fucking terrible. <laughs> Uh, second place with 35% was KMFDM's Juke Joint Jezebel, which is, in fact, the best song on the album, and you all have terrible taste. Uh, third place was the Tracy Lord song Control with 20%, and then Fear Factory's Zero Signal got a 5% uh, of the vote, which means one person out there just loves them some Fear Factory. So God bless you. <laughs> this soundtrack sounds like something I would absolutely hate. I think I think you would have had a fun time with it because yeah, there's a lot of trash, but there's also a lot of really fun stuff on it. So, well, <laughs> speaking it's dumb of fun, and fun, just like uh, me. Oh, well, speaking of uh, of fun, tonight we're talking about uh, Romeo Michelle's High School Reunion from yes. 1997. The movie's 22 years old now. It can drink. Mm, yeah. So it, it can drink and hopefully not get carded. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so so Libby, what led to this decision? Like, how, how how did you come to this movie? Well, I've got a couple personal connections to it, which we'll get into. But oh, of course she does. Yeah, why not? But uh, this was one of those movies that I didn't actually see in high school. It did get an R rating for language, mostly from Heather Mooney, and so I didn't I didn't see it when I kind of should have seen it. And probably about five years ago, I saw it on Netflix and thought, well, there's a movie that I've always wanted to see and watched it. 
I just absolutely fell in love with it. It was I felt like it was made personally for me. <laughs> Everything about it. So uh it's it's one I've been wanting to do for a while. So now, Joe, you just watched this. Yes, I, I had not seen this movie until literally four hours ago. Have you never been to a slumber party? Um, I can say, I can legitimately say I've never been to a teenage girl slumber party, yes. Well, I guess neither have I, because like I said, we, we didn't watch this. And I think oh. that's part of the reason why it has kind of a cult following. Yeah, it, it's, it was, it's it was definitely, sort of, yeah, it, was, it was sort of clueless for adults although i think this one is actually aged better than clueless i could see that yeah i mean i think this guy has more of a uh sort of uh, lasting appeal because every mm-hmm. everybody dreams of going to their high school reunion either 10 or 20 years later and showing that one asshole like that you've turned your life around you know like it's not everybody is alicia silverstone and has paul rudd for a stepbrother or whatever yeah. you know like that's just not my life yeah, and Clueless is fun when you're a teen. Romy Michelle's fr- that's the movie you grow into. Right, yeah. So Now, did you go to your high school reunion? No, I didn't. So, um, me neither. I didn't partly because, well, see, we, we live in an internet age now where everybody has Facebook and everybody sees their high school friends all the time on the internet. So mm-hmm. you don't really have a need to have a high school yeah. reunion anymore. But also when they were scheduling and, and trying to... Uh, corral people to come to our high school reunion i looked at the list of people who were you know who's, who rsvp'd yes and like i realized that these are none of the people i talked to or care to see again from high school so like no i'm not gonna go to that <laughs> what about you <laughs> did uh, you go to yours no one i don't think i was actually invited because it was organized on facebook which i'm not yep. on ah. and i wouldn't have gone anyway because seriously i have like a heather mooney sort of feel I could see that. Yeah. Like, fuck that shit. And I actually ran into another girl I went to high school with. uh, Her name was Dawn at a friend's wedding. And she's like, did you go to the reunion? I said, no, did you? And she said, no. But we caught up with sort of like what we had heard. Apparently, one of our classmates became an, an adult film actress. Really? Yeah, so good for her. I have a feeling that was kind of what she always wanted to achieve, so good for you, Nikki. She was Nikki was a royal bitch to me. <laughs> she was just an absolute trash fire. Twat. Oh wow. So whatever. But um actually one of my friends, my friend Mackenzie, uh shout out to Mackenzie Cassidy. We weren't friends in high school. We just didn't run in the same circles. We did have driver's ed together, but we reconnected on Twitter. Oh, nice. And actually developed a post-high school friendship. But honestly, uh, my only remaining friend from high school wasn't really even in my class, and that's my friend Heather. She's been my best friend for like 20 years. So. But, oh, nice. Yeah. So, yeah, no, no reunion here. I run into people once in a while, usually at, you know, funerals. So, it happens. Uh, yeah, and I guess no, <laughs> no high school best friend that you uh, are were in, completely inseparable with for the last ten years either. Um, my high school best friend moved in with my ex. Ooh. Ouch. So, yes. I am sorry I brought that up. <laughs> it's fine. Um, she knows what she did. No, we we made up, but we're not friends. 
So it's just sort of like, okay, I'm at peace with you, but have fun with your life, hanging out with my loser ex. Uh, I have a beautiful house and an awesome husband, and as we're going to hear tonight, a pretty fucking wild life. So I, I'm sort of the, <laughs> I'm the Mary, I guess is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> I live vicariously through you and this podcast. <laughs> So, also, just, uh, you know, to note, this soundtrack has a lot of 80s music, so that's, honestly, like, my jam. That's where I live. Yeah. I was actually kind of, uh, I was kind of worried about this soundtrack before I even looked at it, because I was like, oh, man, I'm not going to know any of this stuff. And then I, I look at the list and go, oh, I know all of this stuff. Like, it's all, yeah. like, 80s greatest hits kind of stuff, which is yeah. perfect. It's great. Mm-hmm. So, it'll give us a chance to talk about some some real classics that we we might not have it's but it'll be similar to our uh our wedding singer show yeah yeah because there's there's a lot of ground to cover mm-hmm. um so let's dive in before we do you know i've i've got my billboarding school ready for you here how i've missed you billboarding school <laughs> debuted this album debuted on the charts uh may 17th 1997 at number 118 that week the number one album on the Billboard 200 was George Strait's Carrying Your Love With Me. Yikes. And the top soundtrack that week at number five was Space Jam. Oh, boy. It was that kind of <laughs> year, everybody. Um, so Remy and Michelle peaked at number 64 in its third week, lasted about 13 weeks on the charts total. The week that it fell off, the number one album in America was Bone thugs and harmonies The Art of War. <laughs> and the top soundtrack that week was at number three, the Men in Black soundtrack. Okay, an old friend. Yeah, so a, a lot of uh, a lot of different. Like we went, we went from country to hip hop in the space of like thirteen weeks. So it was the late nineties were a wild time. Mm-hmm. The late nineties were a land of contrasts. <laughs> so now this soundtrack actually, like the Wedding Singer, has a music from and a more music from. Mm-hmm. We're gonna mostly focus on the original soundtrack, but as we go through. Uh, we'll point out what is either on the more music from or what was not included on the soundtrack, including some real notable exceptions. Oh, yeah. And and looking at the list of uh, more music, there are certain songs that I completely missed in the movie. So I don't think they're in there. That would explain it. These then, are, yeah. yeah. These are all songs that I know. Uh, but they just I don't think they were in the in the film. Okay. So, yeah, I would know if they were playing Together Forever by Rick Astley. My Rick Astley <laughs> meter would start going. So the way I think we should do this one mm-hmm. is let's go through the film. Sure. Because the soundtrack bounces all over the place. Yeah. So. Like, I think, I think, um, yeah, because like the very first song on the soundtrack comes way late in the movie. Yeah. So, yeah, we can do that. So Libby, uh, for the uninitiated, tell us what is Romy and Michelle's high school reunion? The sort of ditzy valley girl, uh, Romy, which is Mina Servino, and her BFF, uh, Michelle, played by Lisa Kudrow, who live in LA. They're sort of, they're girl slackers, sort of living this sort of dreamy life in LA. And they find out that their 10-year reunion for Sagebrush High in Tucson, Arizona is coming up. And although they look at their lives and think, man, we are nothing, they decide to go to the reunion anyway and lie about inventing post-it notes to try to impress the A group of 
sort of mean girls and let everybody know that actually they're pretty cool. So it sort of follows follows them back to Sagebrush High to confront their old high school nemesis. It's a great film. It's beautiful. It's it perfect. is like the perfect fantasy film because it's weird, <laughs> but you feel really good when you watch it. There's a sequence mm. that just goes way off the fucking rails. Oh, it it's like an SNL sketch. Yeah, it goes it goes on, and then you think it's going to be done, and then it keeps. Going. Yeah, and you're like, is this is this the movie? We'll, we'll get to it, but there's a lot to love in this movie. It's such a there's. There's probably it's probably a good comparison. Like this, this is very similar to like the the Bill and Ted kind of dynamic. Yeah, too. or Wayne's World, but, in a lot yeah, of ways. Yeah, but it's nice to see that being led by two women. And although there is a tiny romance subplot, one of the things I love most about it is it's just about these two women and their friendship. Mm-hmm. It's such yeah. a beautiful film that doesn't need to go off into. Where, you know, Romy has this boyfriend and Michelle has this boyfriend and they need a man to be happy. We need more movies like that. So uh, the film actually opens with uh, No Doubts, uh, Just a Girl, which is not on the soundtrack. And before we go any further, let's hear a clip. This is no doubt second appearance. They also showed up on uh, Beavis and Butthead Do America. Yes. And but this one opens the film uh, over the credits, and uh, the director David Merkin really, really wanted no doubt in this film. Yeah. And the studio thought it was like too edgy. It was again that what? Yeah. So they thought it was too mean, too sharp, and that was right before they broke out. They were a punk band, they were the ska band. They didn't fit the sort of bubblegum aesthetic. By the time the movie came out in April 1997, Tragic Kingdom was huge. It was everywhere. Mhm. And if at this song then, they would Yeah, like this would have basically taken over the the soundtrack budget and we wouldn't have gotten an entire second album. Yeah, and as it was, this soundtrack cost a million dollars. Ooh, wow. Yeah. And and Merkin even said um, they got such a great deal on the song early on, they wouldn't have been able to to use it. And the opening sequence has all these different textures and patterns and those fabrics are brilliant and beautiful. Oh, wow. Yep. I didn't even think notice that. Yep. That's something you don't sort of notice until you've watched it six or seven or 25 times like I have. (laughs) (laughs) Still not a fan of No Doubt. I think they've done a few good songs, but like as a band, they've never been my favorite. Yeah. It's half a No Like I listened to half this song and I'm like, that's enough No Doubt for me Mm. for the rest of my life. I'm going to make some enemies with this comment. They're kind of like Bon Jovi in that I do like three or four of their songs and everything else just kind of sounds the same to me. Okay, that's three or four songs that more than I know. I know this one, 
and Don't Sleep. And I know that we talked about the one on the Beavis and Butthouse soundtrack. Couldn't tell you anything about it. Can't even remember the name. Did, did you just call Don't Speak, Don't Sleep? Did I? I might have just kind of slurred it. Oh, wish I like, no doubt. I really do. But I don't know. I just don't. My feeling on No Doubt is I liked Gwen Stefani when she was in a band. Oh, well. This is, it's an, it's an interesting um, intro to the movie, too, because like you, you, at the very end of that sort of title sequence, you get that sort of painting of uh, like the L.A. Muscle Beach kind of vista. And then it goes into the, the film, like a shot of the, from the film, like a helicopter shot. And it just keeps zoom going in and in and mm-hmm. in until finally you're, you're like face to face with their window. And it's just such a cool little like film trick. And you can tell they kind of superimpose the actual window into this like, strange <laughs> matte painting of, of, you know, Muscle Beach. Mm-hmm. It's a neat, Cinematically a and, and design-wise like again with, and I, with I the clothing that. and every, there's a lot of really beautiful little design tricks that we'll talk yeah. about uh, throughout. But uh, yeah, so we're introduced to our two, Romy and Michelle, and they are watching uh, Pretty Woman. Mm-hmm. Which is a film I've never seen. Everything I know about Pretty Woman, I learned through cultural osmosis. It, I yeah. assume a lot of things about it. I don't know much about it in reality. I do know that Go West's King of Wishful Thinking is a great song. Is that on the I, Pretty Woman that's soundtrack? On the, that's on the Pretty Woman soundtrack. And it is amazing. I do know that uh, the Red Hot Chili Peppers' uh, Show Me Your Soul is also uh, quite good. A very good song. The Red Hot Chili Peppers are on the Pretty Woman soundtrack? As far as I know. That sounds like the greatest fact I've ever heard in my life. I mean, it's, it's, got, it's got David Bowie, it's got Go West, it's got Roxette, Robert Palmer, Roy Orbison, Chili Peppers. We might have to do this one. Yeah, Robert Palmer, of course, appears on this soundtrack. He is on the second soundtrack. We'll get to him. Mm-hmm. But it's actually going to be a bit until we get one of the songs that's on the soundtrack. Yeah, we'll, we'll, because... be, we'll be a minute. <laughs> yeah. But because uh, next they go to a nightclub and they are dancing to uh, La Bouche, Be My Lover, mm-hmm. which everybody who listens to this podcast should remember from the classic Ultimate Dance Party 1997 commercial <laughs> and no place else. Uh, excuse me. Excuse me. <laughs> because I took karate classes in the 90s at a wellness center. <laughs> And right before my karate class was a, uh, yeah, was was a, a step class of some kind, and they played all kinds of techno songs, and "Be My Lover" was definitely one of them. I love everything about that sentence. That is the most like '90s boy sentence I've ever heard in my life. Taking karate right behind Labouche's "Be My Lover." <laughs> yep. Everything I know about 90s techno, I learned from Mortal Kombat and taking karate classes <laughs> at the Wilkesboro Welcome Se- Wellness Center. Excuse me. So, <sighs> now, I really love this scene because they order Diet Cokes, and I'm not a partier by any stretch of the imagination, and I certainly wasn't in high school. Mm-hmm. And so this idea that like they just get a Diet Coke, that they're not like getting drunk and fucking a bunch of dudes and they're like weirdly adolescent speaks to me as kind of a nerd. Yeah. Like they're, they're kind of, uh, they're, they're kind of stunted emotionally and, and uh, developmentally a little bit. Yeah. And because so many movies about 
high schoolers revolve around like drinking and partying and that just wasn't my high school experience that wasn't even my college or even adult experience and i'm the type of person who would probably order a diet coke with extra maraschino cherries at a at a bar yeah like while while dancing (laughs) sure that's just that's kind of who i am and it's not it wasn't anything cool like oh i'm straight edge i'm just a nerd Mm -hmm. it's just yeah i'm not cool enough to drink yeah, yeah, it's just kind of like I'm much more of like a like if I'm going to drink, I want to sit very quietly mm-hmm. and like in a low slung leather chair. So it's it, I can dance or I can drink. I cannot do both. <laughs> like I'm a, I'm a nerd who learned way too early the uh, the joys of craft craft beer and and uh, uh, mixed drinks. So if I'm going to drink, I'm going to you know either make it myself or learn about it. And that's like way too nerdy for a bar. Yeah, so. <laughs> um, I also just really like dancing and I can't, I don't want to spill anything. So of course. I'm always going to be on the dance floor. Those drinks are expensive. You don't want to waste any of that. Exactly. So, um, I think the other part so, of it too, is that like, uh, Romeo and Michelle, like they're played by these two actresses who are like in their thirties playing characters that were in their twenties. And then in flashbacks playing characters who are, who are like 18, which is <laughs> like on its face absurd. And like, that's definitely part of the joke, but like that kind of, pushes you into like their character a little bit mm-hmm. like just how how stunted they are like you know they're playing you know 15 years too young for the you know for themselves yeah but you weirdly <laughs> buy it yeah you get it because yeah. they're so cute well, and also the fact that like mira sorvino is putting on this really like thick valley girl accent to, yeah it, it's distracting it, <laughs> yes and it's it's so her mm-hmm but it is weirdly like outside of the rest of the film. Yeah, yeah, because it's a it's a fake Valley Girl accent, right? Because they're from Arizona. <laughs> yeah. So it's it's, a, it's she's putting it on the character's putting it on on purpose, but also like Sorvino does it so well. Like I just want to hear her talk in this voice. <laughs> mm-hmm. I love it. It's very exaggerated. She, she, yes, and she she speaks very slowly in t- at times, mm. which is kind of funny. It's this very deep, slow sort of voice that she does. Which she I think when she's trying to sound smarter than she is. Right. So But also almost like she's trying to do the, the Valley Girl voice. Mm-hmm. A little too hard. It's a little conscientious, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. So it, it comes out very weird, but wonderful. It works. She sells it. She really sells it. So I... Uh, Long story short, Heather Mooney, played by our friend Janine Garofalo from Mystery Men, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. shows up. She is smoking a Lady Fair cigarette, uh, which she invented the quick-burning paper. Of and course. cigarettes are gross, but let's be real, Heather Mooney looks cool smoking one. Of course. Yeah, she looks really So we get kind of our first song on the soundtrack when it flashes back to Heather Mooney mm. in high school. She just wants to let you know, by the way, that she did not have a thing for Sandy Frank. She did not have a thing. Sure. She did not have a thing. Sure you didn't. <laughs> now, I dressed just like Heather Mooney in high school, uh, but with like a little bit of the Romy Michelle flair, like I made a lot of my own clothes, mm-hmm. but they were all black and I wore Doc Martens with everything. So I was like an adorable Heather Mooney. Now, be honest with me here. Do you still dress like that? Like Heather Mooney? Actually, a little bit. 
Uh, because now I just kind of wear like skirts and t-shirts at Doc Martens. I'm less dramatic now. Like you've graduated from Daria and moved on to Heather Mooney. I actually dress more like Jane. Fair. Fair enough. Okay. So, uh, but we get uh, we get the smithereens mm-hmm. who we last heard uh, on the Time Cop soundtrack. Yes. <laughs> with Blood and Roses. So let's go to a clip. Now, I'm pretty sure this is, like, the Smithereens' like biggest hit. They never really had many hits, but this is, like, the, their most recognizable song, I think. Mm-hmm. The one most people, the, knows. most people yeah, know. Yeah, it's from, especially for you, it was the first single yeah. off of that. Mm-hmm. And so talk to me a little bit about this song. Okay, so this song, I guess it's just a little bit slower than I think I'm familiar with the Smithereens. Like, it's a little, little hazier, a little smokier, a little more downbeat. And it kind of it underscores sort of just uh, Heather Mooney's just, just de- whole demeanor of just being angry and a little bit surly at everybody. And uh, I just love I, I kind of just love the the vibe of this song. Mm-hmm. But uh, I also I do want to point out that we, we should have mentioned this in our, our uh, uh, 90s soundtrack uh, episode. We lost uh, lead singer Pat Denizio just last year. Uh, yeah, just a few that's months right. Ago. So rest in peace, Pat. Yeah, um, but uh, He's kind of a genius. He he really was in a lot of ways, and and Blood and Roses is is just I don't know I don't really know what to say about it other than I I dig the vibe like it's it's uh it's stomping around music. Yeah, <laughs> and it's there's a lot of because the picture they show of Heather in the yearbook is her walking away. Yeah, and this is sort of the montage as she's trying to smoke a cigarette and. A guy who turned out to be the, it was Justin Thoreau in his first film appearance. Right. And I, I saw his name in the credits and I was like, oh, Justin Thoreau is in this? I didn't put it together that he was the cowboy until he showed his face at the mm-hmm. very end. Like, oh shit, mm-hmm. that's him. <laughs> yep. So he, uh, she looks for a light and he throws his cigarette at him, but it is what inspires her to create Lady Fair Cigarettes. So she looks like the type that would probably listen to the smithereens. Although that being said, with Heather Mooney, I'm surprised we didn't get more bands like The Cure or The Smiths. Yeah, that seems like it would have been more her speed. Mm-hmm. Or even something... I mean, we're, the, the issue is, like, what we see of Heather Mooney is in 1997. Right. And so grunge is already happening. She was proto-grunge because this is presumably 1987. Oh, that's true. So she wouldn't have had uh she wouldn't have had that. So like when I think of like nineteen eighty seven and like indie like college rock, I would I would say more like I mean at that time it would be like Soundgarden and maybe the Pixies and yeah, I guess like the cure. She was pretty much definitely into the Pixies. Mm-hmm. Totally Heather Mooney kind of band. So um and then as they're looking through their yearbook, uh and we get uh, she blinded me with science because of course yes which is it's a, it's a little cliche now this one is not track no unfortunately it is on the second soundtrack yes and that's of course Thomas Dolby uh, we see a brief 
shot of Sandy Frick, played by Alan Cumming, who is remarkably hot. <laughs> I can't be the only person who thinks that, right? It's like common knowledge that Alan Cumming is hot. I've seen him in, in other movies other movies where he is a very attractive uh, man, so God, I'm not going to like gorgeous i'm not gonna disagree but there's a there's a sequence in this movie where he's wearing heavy heavy makeup and it's like is that the same person yeah (laughs) and it's like i like uh real sandy frick better than dream sequence sandy frick but um yeah so like sandy frick is kind of on the periphery of the flashbacks like he's not really a player until they get to the reunion later on yes and now he was in love with michelle Heather yes. was in love with Sandy. She did not have a thing for him. She's very much in love with him. Just a quick note about Sandy Frick. Um, he looks a lot like a guy that I was madly in love with in high school. Uh, that I did have very much, was very much in love with him. There is a difference. And his name was Martin Tom, and he broke my heart. So, Aww. I know. Uh, like, <laughs> but like Heather Mooney at the reunion, it's like that's him. What was I thinking? Mm. So, um, if, if it makes you feel any better, my 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 girlfriend right out of high school was very much a blonde Heather Mooney. So, fine. <laughs> yeah, and and she destroyed me. So there's that. <laughs> yeah, this is, we're gonna we're gonna go some deep places. I think tonight mm-hmm, as we mm-hmm. confront our o- teenage years. But, open up um, some open up some old wounds. Yep, it's gonna be great. Um, I do like She Blinded Me with Science. It is, like I said, it is kind of an 80s cliche. I think that Thomas Dolby gets sometimes written off as kind of a novelty songwriter. He's Mm. actually a genius. Well, I do know that that song was never meant to be on that album, The Golden Age of Wireless. Like they came, he put out the album first, and they came back to him and said, There's no hit single on this (laughs) album. So he just like tossed that song off you know, as fast as he could, and it just kind of blew up into the novelty hit that it became. So I don't think he ever intended it to be his big hit single, but, yeah. you know, a- ha- accidents happen. Yeah, and it's funny because, um, you know, a lot of this stuff, uh, as I'm looking at the more music, you have, again, a lot of a lot of British influence. And you see some of it uh, on the, the, a, the A soundtrack, we'll call it, sure. uh, the original. But, um, you know, you get uh, Howard Jones, Joe Jackson, Thomas Dolby. Uh, there's a lot of 80s. Or, sorry, there's a lot of, of British bands on here. So, yeah, like a lot is, of that, uh, that Brit- British sort of new wave music. I mean, a lot of the new wave music came from England. Yeah. In the 80s. So, you know, hearing it in Tucson is kind of fun. <laughs> sure, yeah. It's, you know. I always wonder about that. Like, really? You're hearing that in Tucson, Arizona? Well, because I I know from my own experience that Oklahoma, like as a teenager, Oklahoma was maybe like radio stations. there were maybe two or three years behind the curve, although on a fairly mainstream radio station in 1999, while driving around with the aforementioned Martin Tom, I heard One Night in Bangkok from the musical Chess. Oh, wow. Like, that was on constant rotation, apparently. <laughs> so, like like I said, I was just kind of a little surprised that they had all this great British New Wave. But, you know, so it goes. Yeah. Um, now, were you, talk about uh, your yearbook 
Were you in any clubs? I was. I was the president of our, our school chess club for two whole years. Wow. I was the worst player on the team. <laughs> I don't know why they made me the president. I think it was because I was the one most willing to like organize events and things. But mostly I was just interested in like getting the group together just to hang out. I didn't care about chess or competing <laughs> with other schools or anything. I just wanted to hang out. Yeah. And the I found only... an outlet to do that. That's awesome. Uh, the only thing I know about chess is that I once tried to learn to impress a man. Mm. Learning chess never impressed any girl I've ever met. So, well. <laughs> Welcome to the I... life of a chess club president. <laughs> I, uh, I didn't learn particularly well. But I found other ways to impress him. So yeah, I mean, chess is a nice tool to have in your back pocket, but it's not not important for that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Let's see. Oh, what else was I in? I was a member of our school writers guild for a couple of years. That Very was like cool. the big thing, the big thing for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and also because I thought I needed it for my college transcript, I joined the history club, <laughs> <laughs> which was a mistake. Because at that point in my life, I didn't care a single bit about history. I just thought it's a club where you don't have to do anything. And I was right. Nice. <laughs> so I got myself, cool got myself into at least three uh, club photos in my yearbook. Nice. Uh, Libby, uh, what about you? How did you get into your high school yearbook? My freshman year, I was on the yearbook staff, but I was not like Toby. Uh, I mm. mostly did sort of uh, layout, which I guess prepared me for a career in uh, newspapers. Yeah, there you go. My big thing was drama club and musical groups. I was in show choir. Uh, later, I was in the chamber ensemble. And but my big thing, I did drama every year. So I did um, I did the school play. And then I also did the musical. Uh, just about I didn't do the high school musical my senior year because I didn't like the director because she was a dumb skank. And she'd gone to high school with my older sister. So uh, she was kind of a Christy Masters in her own right. <laughs> but uh, that was the only year that I, I wasn't in the uh, musical. But that was about it. I wasn't, I wouldn't say I wasn't a joiner, but that was just kind of, eh. um, I was in Girl Scouts, though. So that was another extracurricular. Oh, nice. There you yeah. go. I am. Um, but it's in these flashback sequences that we get our next song that does appear on uh, on our soundtrack. It's uh, track eight, I Want Candy by Bow Wow Wow. Bow, Let's go to a wow, clip. Wow. I, I really love like the bass line in this song. It's so good. <laughs> See, I, I hate this song. I, I'm just saying I like parts of it, okay? Yeah, this is just <laughs> one. Because to me, and, and I think this comes from looking back as a child of the 90s, this is what you hear at like 80s-themed parties. Yeah. This is, it's like totes 80s, y'all. Like... If you want to talk about bad like novelty songs, I think this kind of counts. Yeah, this this one does not work for me. It just sounds juvenile. 
Yeah, it, it does. And, and not like, in a fun way, like, I know what boys like. It's yeah. just, it sounds like a my, my Little Pony music. Yeah, and also just the fact that, like, knowing about Bow Wow Wow and how the band was formed and how it, they very much sought, you know, an underage girl to be in this band full of dudes, it's just kind of creepy. Yeah, too. it's incredibly creepy. Um, Now, this song plays uh, in a flashback where Romy sees Billy Christensen and mm. she says, uh, oh, sorry, uh, Billy Christensen is played by Vincent Ventresca. And she's like, he's so cute. Uh, no, he's not. He's not. <laughs> no, he's not. He's not. Now, I want to talk a little bit, because this flashback is where we really meet Christy Masters. And I have a story about Christy Masters. Oh, boy. Yes. So uh, Christy Masters is played by Julia Campbell. Now, anyone who listens to me on the Shattered Shield podcast knows that my favorite detective is uh, Detective Dutch Wagenbach, played by Jay Carnes, who is married to Julia Campbell. Oh, God. Yes. And uh, Jay and I have become good friends. We sort of became friends over Twitter. And I found myself in their city a couple years back. And Jay had read The Big Rewind and wanted me to sign his copy and said, well, let's, let's get lunch. And he said, do you mind if Julia comes along? And I'm thinking, why would I say no to that? <laughs> this is, is going to be the best day of my life. Now, uh, and again, if you've listened to me on The Shadow Shield, you know that I think that Jay is like the handsomest man I've ever seen. And he is. He's legitimately just beautiful. But when Julia Campbell walked in that room, I swear to God, Joe, time stopped. She is the most beautiful woman who has ever walked the face of this earth. <laughs> she is so stunning. You kind of can't believe it. Like, the human brain isn't built to take in that kind of beauty. You, like, you, you just, I, I'm not doing her justice. She's radiant. Like, the air just starts smelling like lilacs when she comes in the room. I'm, bells ring. It's, she's incredible. She's also extremely funny and ridiculously sweet. So when we were walking to the restaurant, she was talking, she's asking, like, what do you, you know, what are you planning to do here? And all this stuff. I was like, oh, I want to go to record stores. And she pulls out her phone and she's like, okay, well, there's this record store, this record store, this record store, this record store, this record store. I've known this woman for five minutes. But you're also, but then in the back of your head, you're like, I could have done that. But no, not even that. It was just like so kind. Like, well, let me tell you where the good ones are. And oh, then okay. later, she's like, well, while you're here, you should go to this restaurant and this restaurant and this one. We ended up going to the taco place she recommended. And we're like, this is, this is great. She's like, yeah, that's where we like to go. She just, because she, she knew what neighborhood we were staying in and just had all these recommendations for us. She, she's the reason I'm on Instagram. Actually, so if you enjoy my Instagram content, thank Julia Campbell, because she's she wasn't really on Twitter. She's like, you should get on Instagram. I'm like, I will get on Instagram, Julia Campbell. I will do that just for you. So <laughs> she has graced me with liking some of my posts sometimes. And I always get real giddy. That's a adorable. I was so dorky around her because she's so happy. She's so <laughs> nice. And, and in this scene, she goes and steals Romy's burger 
Yes. And eats it in front of her. We did go out for burgers. We went to Deschutes Brewing Company. And she did not steal my burger off my plate. If she had, I wouldn't have minded. <laughs> <laughs> I really, really, she's, I know I'm gushing, but she's just, she's a, a lovely human being. And, and Jay's really nice, too. He's just probably one of the sweetest people I know. He's <laughs> a really, really lovely person. So, But anyone who's listened to The Shattered Shield can probably hear that. He's done uh, a couple interviews. Very, very, very lovely couple. Nice. Yeah. That's good. It's good to know that she's not uh she's not a Christy Masters in real life. No, she's she could be further from. But um <laughs> it just makes her it makes that character that much more fun. Yeah. Because as I watch again, i you know, I know that that's not her. So and she's so she's very, very, very funny in this role. She's a funny person. So that's my my Julia Campbell story. There you go. I love it. <laughs> so, um, oh, next comes the the big uh, prom flashback. Yes, and there's a lot of music in here. We're gonna go over uh, some of it because, as I said, some of it only some of it appears on the first soundtrack. Some appears on the second. Um, we've got uh, "Dance Hall Days" by Wang Chung. Mm-hmm. Again, another another British new wave band. So let's go to a clip there. And I dance. All days we were good on Christ. When I, you, and everyone we knew could believe, do, sharing what was true, I said. Now I'll say for right off the bat, I enjoy this one a lot more than, uh, ev- what's the song called? Everybody Have Fun Tonight? Mm-hmm. Partly because that song is really stupid. No, I love that song. That's not what you said off podcast. No, I love everybody have fun tonight. Well, I like this because it's it's not as like frantic and upbeat. It's very <laughs> chill and laid back, and I like that more. Yeah, but have you ever like listened to the lyrics? It's yeah, it's a strange song. <laughs> it's I'm not really entirely sure what dance hall days is. Is it about the apocalypse? Is it? I'm not sure. It's very weird. It has a very very weird music video. Uh, there's actually two videos. Um, one of them is uh, archive footage of swimmers and fountains and World War II and the yes, yes, and <laughs> the band is dressed up like the Wizard of Oz, and uh, yeah, like uh, um, and the first verse of the song is is definitely describing a weird sex move, right? Yeah, take your, baby, I, take your baby by the hand, make her do a high handstand. Now take your baby by the heel and do the next thing that you feel. So that's like, that's called a wheelbarrow, right? Uh, I don't know. See, I'm thinking more like uh, <laughs> like Chicago in uh, the cell block tango, the way she's describing. Oh, okay. Uh, number, was it number 17, the spread eagle? Mm. So, uh yeah, I mean, you look at the the second verse. Take your baby by the hair and pull her closer. There, there, there. Take your baby by the ears and play upon her darkest fears. Like, no dude is gonna like grab me by my hair and whisper, "You're a failure," and everybody knows it. <laughs> Which I guess is my darkest fear. You grab her by the ear and say, "If you want to be a Catholic high school girl, you're gonna act like one and then yank as hard as you can." Yes. <laughs> That got really, really dark. Uh, 
that's what we're here for on this podcast. But I love this song. Take your baby by the wrist. One more. And in her mouth, an amethyst. Okay. And in her eyes, two sapphires blue. And you need her and she needs you. So this is like describing like a, a burial ritual, isn't it? Ooh, I hadn't thought he, of that. He killed this person. <gasps> this song just got really dark. We're a long ways from everybody. Have fun tonight, everybody. Yeah, and that's why I like this song. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's either about sex and murder or... Or it's not. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know? Are you in Wang Chung? Find us on Twitter at OST Party. <laughs> now, the other thing about this song, and like I've the reason I've known this for ages and ages is because this is one of many songs that appeared on the Grand Theft Auto Vice City soundtrack. How did I know you were going to say that? <sighs> you know me too well. We've done this for too long. <laughs> like I have the d- distinct memories of like driving around the city at night listening to this song just because I liked the song. Yeah. I actually have this on 45. Oh, uh, nice. I'm, yeah, in a picture sleeve. I'm going to probably bust that out at some point. Uh, I do love Wang Chung. I think they're just a really, really fun band. Their song Hypnotize Me is really good, too, mm. which I think is on the same album as uh, Everybody Have Fun Tonight. So, okay. Wang Chung just like doesn't get enough love. I think they're kind of, again, brushed off as kind of a novelty band. And we're going to see that uh, throughout this album. There's a couple songs on here that people you know take really seriously as classics. But yeah. there's there's, a, there's some stuff that people kind of brush off that ends up being really, really good, especially if you if you dig a little deeper into the catalog. So there's four major songs in the prom flashback scene, unless I'm missing one. Yes. Uh, this is the only one that appears on the first soundtrack. We also get uh, Whip It, mm-hmm. uh, which is on the second soundtrack, and Addicted to Love by Robert Palmer. It's not on either soundtrack from Romy Michelle's. School reunion. Well, now, do you want to talk about the the big song from this scene? Uh, Would that be uh, Cindy Lauper's "Time After Time"? It would be Cindy Lauper's "Time After Time." All right. Well, let's go ahead and play a clip from that because I'm sure everybody wants to hear it. Well, now that you're all done crying, because that song is sad and beautiful, mm-hmm. talk to me about Time After Time. Okay, so Time After Time is a sad song that I don't like listening to because it makes me sad. <laughs> but like in, in the movie, you know, it's, it plays as um, Romy finally musters up the courage to ask Billy, the prom king, if he will dance with her. And Billy kind of goes, oh, yeah, sure, I guess so. Goes back, confers with his girlfriend, Christy, and comes back with a plan. Like, yes, I will dance with you. Just give me five minutes. And then he leaves the party with Christy. Because he's an asshole. Because he's a big asshole. And so uh, Romy, very sad and depressed now, decides to just dance with uh, Michelle as time after time plays and it's this very sad scene yeah although it's tragic it's a beautiful scene because she just says well I'll dance with you Romy and it's it's sweet because you know she comes to her rescue because that's what friends yeah. do 
friends have each other's back. Yeah, That's right. and she's not going to let her stand alone on the dance floor. I love that. This song, <laughs> like I said, it this song makes me cry, makes everybody cry. Um, just a couple notes on this. This was actually supposed to be the first song off She's So Unusual. And Cyndi Lauper didn't want to get a reputation as just a balladeer. So they released Girls Just Want to Have Fun first. This was the second single. That was a smart move yeah. because as as good as this song is, I feel like Girls Just Want to Have Fun is, I guess, more universal. Yeah, which I'm kind of surprised that, that song wasn't on here. There could There's a, a couple of places you could have put yeah, it. Yeah, because ultimately, you know, Romy and Michelle just want to have fun. This song does not appear on the soundtrack. It's used in a second time in the movie, which we'll get to, but it doesn't appear. There's only two songs that actually show up twice, and the other one is Just a Girl by No Doubt. Mm-hmm. You're telling me you spent a million dollars on the soundtrack and you couldn't get time after time, and yet you use it twice in the film? Come on. Yeah, yeah really. Hell? You're telling me the soundtrack had to be 30% Go-Go's? <laughs> I mean, not that I'm complaining, but I feel like we probably, we could have dumped, say, Karma Chameleon. Yeah, because that's on, that's, that's well represented someplace. Yeah, or Venus. Those are the two I would have swapped for time after time. I would have swapped Blood and Roses because it kind of doesn't fit here. No, I would have kept Blood and Roses because it's Heather Mooney's theme. Okay, Blood and Roses, aside from turning Japanese, is like the only real legit like rock song on the soundtrack and it just doesn't fit to me. That's fair. Okay. That's how I'll put it. Like it just it's it's it stands alone among other like eighties kind of new wave and mm-hmm. pop hits. And then all of a sudden there's blood and roses, which I guess, you know, you're right. That is the Heather Mooney sort of That's, yeah. thing. Because like there she is, and everybody kind of looks at it and goes, Ugh, why is that here? I don't think anyone goes, Ugh, to the smithereens, but we're like, hmm. <laughs> I know, I know. But curse you. It's the odd man out on the soundtrack, yeah. is all I'm saying. Now uh there's a a kind of songless sequence where they're trying to get boyfriends, they're trying to lose weight, they're trying to get in shape to look good for the reunion. There's a poppy score here that kind of reminded me of Tommy Boy. Did you pick that up? Yeah, just a little bit. And I know the music is by uh, Steve Bartek, who is not a name I'm familiar with, but apparently he was the lead guitarist. For yeah, Underborn. Steve Bartek is a name that I'm extremely familiar with. I mean, talk about a soundtrack king. Right, yeah. So... We've, we found a way to make this Danny Elfman uh, yes. adjacent tonight. <laughs> and you could really hear, like, the horns come out, in, mm-hmm. uh, especially in this montage. So the uh, their obsession with losing weight is not great. It's a real, like, 90s hallmark. You're just like, mm, you two are thin and beautiful. Just, mm. Yeah, like, you don't need to yeah. worry about losing weight, especially, like, when, you, when they're, just, they're just sitting around, like, oh, are you really going to not eat that one Dorito? Really? That's going to make a difference. That, to me, is the one thing about this movie that hasn't aged particularly well. It, it is a very mm. 90s movie. Also, Romy pretends to sleep with Ramon, who's one of the mechanics at the Jaguar dealership. Ramon is going to get, like, me to the, f- like, into the ground. <laughs> uh, yeah, she, she strikes a deal with him because she wants to borrow his fancy car, his fancy Jaguar or a fancy Jaguar from the dealership for the reunion, but he wants something in return. And then they, they decide they make an agreement <laughs> where <laughs> she won't put out for him, but she will make sex noises. So his coworkers yes, can hear, which is gross, but it's a very and funny the, scene. It's very funny be- 
because she's she she's so not into it, and they're just like, oh my god, he's yeah, giving it we to should her. put that that clip in there. You are Columbus, and I am America. Discover me, Ramon. Just discover me. <laughs> so, uh, as they head off to the reunion, here's where Michelle uh, makes a mixtape of songs to get them in the mood. The first one is Kenny Loggins' Footloose, which they realize that they don't know the words to. Does anybody know the words to Footloose? Does Kenny Loggins know the words to Footloose? I don't know. I don't know. Everybody cut. Everybody cut. Or cut everybody. (laughs) Cut everybody. Yeah. (laughs) Cut everybody who doesn't know the words to Footloose. Which is everybody. Nobody knows the words to Footloose. So, and now we get our next uh, soundtrack hit. Which mm-hmm. is uh, track five, Turning Japanese by The Vapors. Road trip. Our accidental road trip series continues. Hey, how about that? Yeah. Let's play a clip. Okay, so first things first, Livy, a couple episodes ago, you made fun of me for not knowing that Pump It Up by uh, Elvis Costello was about cranking it. And then you said to me, every song's about cranking it. And I have thought about that ever since and made a game out of like, is this song about cranking it? (laughs) And which brings (laughs) us to Turning Japanese, which is obviously about cranking it. It's not, though. That is an American misinterpretation. And here's okay. the thing. I got a story about the vapors. Okay. Do so. I need to introduce you to a man named Roland Barth? What? <laughs> Let's talk about death of the author for a minute. What? <laughs> Once the vapors put the song out into the world, it doesn't matter what they think it's about. <laughs> Whatever I think it's about, it's about. <laughs> I've, okay. They've done their part, and I, now I, I have had... mine, my, my role to play here. <laughs> it's about cranking it if I say it. <laughs> Okay, well, I'm gonna. I'm here to defend them as like the Vapor's number one champion out in the okay. world. So in uh, 2016, my novel The Big Rewind came out, and in it, there's a repeated theme of the character Sid. His favorite band is the Vapor's, and they had broken up after their second album, Magnets. So the very, very early 80s, they never had another hit the way Turning Japanese right. was. Now, a few months after the big rewind came out, I think in April, book came out in February. In April, they started playing their first gigs together in like 40 years. Oh, wow. So I'm not saying that Libby Cudmore got the vapors back together, but they have a new album coming out in May and I'm reviewing it and it's great. They're, they have uh, two singles out. One is called Crazy and the other is Together. Together was actually just released this week. They're great. Their new album is phenomenal. Now, I got to see them at the Mercury Lounge on the Vapors Coming to America tour. They hadn't toured America, again, in like 40 years. I don't think I was born when they toured America. (laughs) So I got to see them, the Mercury Lounge. And I brought a copy of the book and was talking to the girl at the merch booth, Kat. And I said, well, are they going to do a meet and greet afterwards? Because I wrote a book and they're mentioned prominently in it. And she's like, well... Let, my boyfriend is the guitar player. Let me go get him. And she brings out Dan Fenton, lead singer Dave Fenton's son. And I signed the book to them. 
and gave it to him and he was very very sweet uh and saw the saw the show when they played turning japanese people lost their fucking minds <laughs> obviously i mean it was a small club it was packed and i had actually backed the kickstarter to bring them so i got uh pre-sale tickets it was the best show I've ever been to. And again, I've seen Steely Dan like 11 times. I've seen Elvis Costello four times. I've seen Big Bad Voodoo Daddy. I've seen so many bands we've talked about on this show. The Vapors is the best show I've ever seen. They played Spring Collection off Nuclear Days. And I've never screamed so hard for anything in my life. It was sort of like Discover Me, Dave Fenton. <laughs> <laughs> That's beautiful. And actually, afterwards, I got to meet the whole band. Uh, my copy of Nuclear Days, which is actually my father's copy, is signed by everyone. It is the most precious thing I own. And I just absolutely love them to bits forever. They're my favorite band. <laughs> so sorry, Steely Dan, but you didn't sign my album. So, Ooh. you know, show up, Donald Fig, and just show up. Show me some love, and maybe you can get that number one spot. Wow. That's Still holding a, out the like making out with Elvis Costello thing that I talked about last week. I feel like that's a, a big pronouncement on this show. Like and people should yeah, should the best yeah, people should uh, people should recognize that. Yeah. Whew. They're great. So I uh, Okay. So now having said that, what is turning Japanese actually supposed to be about? It's really just supposed to be about he's missing his girlfriend. I sort of like the American interpretation better, I'm gonna be honest. But even though the American interpretation is pretty racist. Yeah. Because the idea is being that your eyes slant. Um, I mean, maybe the you, way you, some of these, yeah. some of you people do it. I mean. Yeah. But it's got that, that sort of. It's, it's got that, that Japanese, riff. that Asian riff. I don't want to call it Japanese, but it's that just Asian that stereotypical is- thing. Although if you, the thing is like this one kind of gets singled out because it is slightly culturally insensitive. And by slightly, I mean pretty culturally insensitive but if you listen to the rest of the album um i believe his dad had a pen pal during world war ii in japan because there's a song called letters from hero Mm -hmm. and there's another song that they do that i believe is on together called letters from hero that's a sequel Uh. to that and he had been writing to this kid as world war ii broke out so there is a, a connection there uh, oh, okay. The, and actually, a lot of like Cold War paranoia and, and World War II era paranoia uh, is threaded throughout the album. Um, you see it on bunkers, um, and then Magnets, uh, their second album, has a lot of that too. From what I've heard so far, um, Together does not have as much of that. Although Letters from Hero or Letters to Hero um, does does feature that and they played that uh when i saw them they actually played a couple songs off the new oh, album. nice so yeah they played uh king l and no i take that back they didn't play letters to hero they played that the night before but i have that set list so i have a signed set list and i have a picture of me with dave fenton so i'll have to i'll i'll tweet those out and i do have a picture of me with julia campbell and she's holding my hand <laughs> my here's my thing with turning japanese in this film though is that you could really play any song. I'm glad it's included because anything that gets the vapors out there, they're a really underrated band. And again, it's kind of a novelty song. The rest of Nuclear Days is brilliant. Uh, really, Spring Collection and Waiting for the Weekend, top-level tracks. 
But there's nothing about it that specifically says Romeo Michelle, especially because it was released six years before the film, before the aforementioned reunion even takes place. Mm-hmm. By this point, the band had been broken up for a while. Yeah, that's true. So it's kind of a, an odd choice. It's a weird anachronism, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, there's definitely some songs that that probably would have fit better. But I, I and, guess it still counts, though, because it's it's a song that would have been out in the world that they would have heard. Well, yeah, but there's... But, see, I even question that because, um, you know, while it was a popular song, it, uh, again, it was that was 1981. And it's, in the U.S., it only reached number 36 on the Billboard Hot 100. Okay. So by 1986-87, I don't know how much of it you would have been hearing. So. That's true. I mean, let's put this to the test. Libby, real quick, uh, name a song from 2014. Um, I can't. There you go. I think that make. I think that uh, pro- just about proves <laughs> that it's bullshit. <laughs> That's fair. Um. However, the song was also featured in another movie in 1997. The song had a weird resurgence. It was featured on the soundtrack of Beverly Hills Ninja, covered by the band The Hazies. Oh, wow. Which, if I had known that, I still wouldn't have done it as a cover song for uh, our episode two weeks ago. And which also co-starred Robin Shu, who was also in Mortal Kombat. So there you have it. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, God. This show is all about making connections, and I love it. I know. It's, it's again, it's, it's so Pepe ridiculous. Silva. It's just Pepe Silva's all the way down. Yep. It's just red string here in the OST party office. All right. We've been on this for like an hour, and we're, yes. I haven't even gotten to the actual reunion. Okay. We have lots of songs to go. So. So they're still on the road trip, and they're deciding, they've decided that they need some kind of a cover. If they can't be successful businesswomen they can at least pretend to be successful businesswomen and they're trying to come up with a something that they can say they've done what they land on is that they together have invented post-it notes Mm -hmm. and as they're deciding this uh the the song uh karma chameleon by culture club is playing on the radio let's go to a clip our love is strong This is one that I feel like could have been any song. And especially with, with how kind of ubiquitous Karma Chameleon already is or was, it, they could have you know picked something that needed the, the exposure, like Turning Japanese did, mm-hmm. you know, in 1997. But, you know, Karma Chameleon is not a bad song. Like, I'm not going to say no to it. No, it's just, again, it's got that, unfortunately, that kind of 80s cliche, like 80s greatest hits yes, cliche. Yes. Uh, I do, I do love karma chameleon uh this is our second appearance by culture club uh again (laughs) and this we we talked about this uh in the wedding singer the late 90s were having that 80s nostalgia and we were seeing it in music and we were seeing it in films we were seeing it in soundtracks 
because this is right around the same time as the wedding singer. Right. And it's that it's that period where VH1 decided to pivot to like 80s nostalgia, like full time. Mm -hmm. But we still have some of that uh, 60s and 70s nostalgia going on. And if, if you look at their clothes, they have that that, you know, 90s club wear look, but it's based on the 1960s sort of A-line uh, British mod fashion. Yeah. But those, yeah. the dresses that they wear to the clubs and out, um, you saw those in catalogs. I it's, wanted all of them desperately. I still it's, do. It's that, it's that 90s obsession with the 60s all over again. Like, it's it's Austin Powers. Yeah. Is what it is. But that <laughs> we have that, yeah, which is very prevalent in this the 90s piece of this with the 80s flashbacks so you're getting a lot of of decades you're kind of jumping between them because it's a yeah, 90s it's... movie that dresses like a 60s movie but has a soundtrack from an 80s movie mm-hmm but then also because it's a late 90s movie, a lot of the other sort of normal fashion elsewhere in the film, it's it's all very flat and sterile and kind of white. Mm-hmm. That late 90s was the, like just a terrible time for fashion in general. <laughs> so I think they yourself. were. Well, so I think they were in, in the, their right mind when they said, well, we got to get colorful and go retro with some of this because otherwise it's going to look awful. Yeah. There's so. a lot of very, very, the, a lot of that pastels. And you see that yeah. uh, Christy's always dressed in purple, which does wonders for her beautiful eyes. But uh, it's a very or, flat purple. And it's that satin I, that was really popular, yeah, which is just like, yeah. I guess the scene I'm really thinking of is when uh, is when Michelle tries to get a job at the the uh, clothing outlet store and her boss, like her, the owner of the store or the manager brags about having gotten his tie for a dollar and it's just it's just flat and ugly and everything just looks awful yeah you paid a whole like, dollar for that you paid a whole dollar for that yeah of course but like everything in the 90s kind of looked like that so we had to make a conscious effort not to look <laughs> like that yeah and honestly that 90s fashion is starting to come back that 90s 60s fashion and it's killing oh, me God. not to wear platform shoes and dress like that again, which I can't because I'm a middle-aged woman and I can't go to work in hot pink platforms, which I do own. That's I, a shame. I know. I, that's could, that's a record Saturdays for, I guess. You could at least go out on assignment in hot pink platform shoes, though. Uh, I don't think the mayor would like that. <laughs> hey, I can't go out on assignment now. We're on quarantine. Oh, that's true. Well, you can pretend at home. That's true. I could be sitting here in hot pants and no one can tell me. No you could put on your that. platform shoes and and like do video interviews with everybody you need to talk to. Exactly. No one will see. The uh, dress code has been thrown out the window at this point. Yes. But so uh, going back to post-it notes on the film's 20th anniversary, post-its did send Lisa Kudrow a box uh, thanking her for inventing them. <laughs> and honestly... Uh, later in the film at the actual reunion Heather Mooney tells them who invented post-it notes and kind of burst their cover yeah I don't remember who that is every time I see post-it notes I think I think to myself oh I invented those but I always think of Romy and Michelle you know it's really weird to me like they could have instead it's like to keep with like the 80s and retro 60s theme, they could have bragged that they invented whiteout that's true because who invented whiteout <laughs> who knows 
the mother of the monkeys, Mike Nesmith. I think I did know that actually. So like that would have been like a, actually no that's a that's a cut too deep for this movie I think <laughs> nobody would have cared yeah <laughs> but we arrive at the reunion they've decided that they're gonna go their separate ways and we get now a very bizarre dream sequence yes yes that I can't describe it's very surreal and you just sort of have to see it. And it's one of those you start noticing different things every single time you watch it. But what, what's great about it is you don't know it's a dream sequence at first. Yeah, because it's very real Yeah, to sort of the reunion vibe. And it isn't until about three quarters of the way through that you're like, wait, something's off. <laughs> yeah, Hold on. But um, when they roll up, it's... Um, Naked eyes, always something there to remind me. Let's play a clip. Reminds me of just how used to be. Is another fun friend of ours, uh, Burt Bacharach, making his second appearance in so many days. Oh, wow. Yeah. Burt Bacharach and Hal David originally wrote it for Dionne Warwick because they wrote everything for Dionne Warwick. Lou Johnson recorded it. Uh, Sandy Shaw recorded it. Uh, Naked Eyes was one of many to have a hit with it. Um, and again, another British band. Um, and this is the one that kind of everybody remind everybody knows. Like when you think always something there to remind me, this is this is the version that yeah, and that it's it's that that very strange like uh st- like sting that's it's I guess it's like a synth sting of like bells ringing dun 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 yeah. And I should have guessed by the way it's composed. That it was a Burt Bacharach tune because it doesn't have a traditional pop structure. Yeah. It just, it kind of goes some odd places and that comes from that, that chamber pop and jazz background that, that Burt Bacharach lives in. (laughs) So... And this was not even the last cover because in 1995, so two years before this movie came out, Tintin Out recorded a house cover of it with Espiritu on vocals. Oh, wow. Yeah. They were just not (laughs) fucking done with this song. And then, um, yeah, of course, it was the the Dionne Warwick had re-recorded it in 1967, and that shows up in uh, Black Mirror. Oh, wow. Okay. So this this song is very, very well known. And this and Dance Hall Days, it's funny because I had them on the same 80s compilation. So Okay. Yeah. This is this is a song, again, this this the strange memories that live in like the cracks and crevices of my brain. I've I I want to say they used this in a Burger King they commercial. They did use this in a Burger point. King commercial. <laughs> I was just about to say that. Isn't it weird how you remember certain things like that? Yes, and actually... And, I, and and you wish desperately that you didn't? Yeah, because I want to think of like an ex-boyfriend or something when I hear this song, and I think about Burger King, and that makes me angry, because I don't even like Burger King. Burger King no, is No, Burger gross. King sucks. 
Yeah, it's all Shake Shack. Burger Burger King also because I I found a website that tells you these things. Burger King has also used um, you sexy thing any way you want it. Boogie yogi yogi. Uh, UB forties. Here I am. Come and take me. Hot stuff. What I like about you and uh, I melt with you all for different commercials throughout the year. So Burger King, thank you for making and taking the time to keep the eighties alive. Yeah, and it, it was during that eighties nostalgia wave. Yeah, it, yeah, because I remember the, the "I'll Melt with You" commercial as well. They were riding high on that eighties nostalgia mm-hmm. wave. Mm-hmm. Fuck you, Burger King. I know. Fuck Burger King. So, um, but in this dream sequence, we see Sandy Frick again with his new face that he buys himself. Regular Sandy Frick, way better than dream sequence Sandy Frick. I wasn't sure this was even Alan it coming is, for is. a second, but I I know I because I got I looked at him long enough like okay that is him under heavy makeup yeah like, it's it's very off putting so and uh, during this of course you know they're still fighting and it flashes forward to seventy years later where they have apparently invented FaceTime oh great so because they talk to each other over video chat and <laughs> they still argue over who's the Mary and who's the Rhoda. And then uh, I think the idea is that Romy dies. <laughs> she, she she dies exerting herself, giving Michelle the middle finger. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's a great it's a great yeah. joke. It's a great scene. So it's, but, uh, it's like wow, we're still doing this, aren't we? Yeah. <laughs> well, also in in the middle of that, like Michelle gets run over by a a stretch limo, and she goes flying into the air. <laughs> So even then, you're like, okay, did that really happen? I mean, it's a comedy, so maybe, but mm-hmm. and and then you see, um, then you see Alan Cummings' terrifying face, yeah. And you're like, okay, this is not right. No, thank you. So there's a couple songs that are played throughout the reunion. We get uh, "Don't Get Me Wrong" by the Pretenders. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's um, a good one. which also not on the soundtrack. I love the Pretenders. I love this song, and this song uh, reminds me what it is. What it was like when I met my husband. Like, I see neon lights whenever you walk by. That is how I feel about my husband. That's adorable. So then the real reunion kicks in. Mm -hmm. Kicks into gear. And so they go into the reunion to the Go-Go's. Our lips are sealed. Is that right? Yes. Let's talk a little bit about the Go-Go's. Because, yeah, the Go-Go's are a large part of the soundtrack. Mm -hmm. So, um... This is this is their it's the opening song on 1981's Beauty and the Beat and again way earlier than when this uh when this actually takes place but this is one of those songs that everybody knows uh it mm-hmm. was named one of the 100 greatest pop songs of all time by Rolling Stone I yeah I can't argue with that like the Go-Go's they kind of nailed it with like two or three really great songs. And then I think th- this might be their, fa- their best. I'm always be torn favorite. because I I love this song, but I kind of prefer uh, We Got the Beat. This song opens the soundtrack and, and We Got the Beat ends the soundtrack. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if I can say which is better, honestly. I know. And, I, and it changes. Just, it's just personal preference. Really. I, it changes from week to week. And um the B-side for We Got the Beat is called Can't Stop the World. And mm-hmm. sometimes I think that might be my favorite Go-Go song. Oh, okay. And then sometimes it's Vacation. It's really hard really? to pick a favorite Go-Go song. 
Well, how about this? Uh, Libby, real, real quick, who's your favorite go-go? I'm going to say uh, Jane Wideland. Same. Yeah. Her? And I'm, oh, sorry, oh, go on. I'm, I'm going to be honest. I always had a crush on her as uh, Joan of Arc in Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Well, duh. I mean, it's like, um, why wouldn't I? Yeah. And her album, uh, Fur, is mm-hmm. Belinda Carlisle gets all the love. Fur is a better record than anything mm. Belinda Carlisle ever put out. And I like Belinda Carlisle just fine. Fur is the best post go-go record. You heard it here first, people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I said it. Actually, my friend Matthew Quinn Martin uh, gave me a copy of that. So I was just shouting out people all night. Dropping names left and right here. Yeah. So uh, <sighs> this and what's what's funny actually about uh, Belinda Carlisle in this video for Our Lips Are Sealed, she's hiding because she's like, music videos will never catch on. This is dumb. <laughs> oh, right. Because it's like the early, the super early 80s when they weren't even sure if that was going to catch on yet. Yeah. Oh, wow. So Talk about a throwback. Yeah. Now, in this... It's just so poppy and funny and just, again, it has that that 80s feel. But when you listen to it, you realize that it's an incredibly tightly written song. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that, I think, when people think about 80s music, they think of it as somehow disposable. Well, because a lot of it kind of was back then, right? Well, but I mean, then... ultimately, think about how many songs are put out constantly true but we're still talking about 80s music in this the year of our lord 2020 right because nostalgia is a machine that must always be fed well that and there's something timeless about it there's something so well crafted about it that we can keep coming back to it and recognizing the craftsmanship that went into it true true so i'm I think another big part of it is that this is this is very much like the music of of our childhoods because like this was still very fresh when you and I were very young, mm-hmm. and so to us this will never really sound that old because it always so sounds to us like what we remember from our childhoods. That's fair. Um, and as we get older, it's going only going to get worse. Well, yeah, and but this, unlike I think a lot of as much as I like Karma Chameleon, it's one of those that sounds really 80s and thus sounds dated, there's something about the Go-Go's, at least, you know, our lips are sealed and we got the beat, that still sounds fresh when you hear it. Yeah, I, I think part of it is because the Go-Go's are like a legitimate like rock band. Mm-hmm. And they, 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 it's just guitar, bass, and drums. And it's it's so simple and so, um, I don't want to say easy, but pure, I guess. Yeah. It's, it's just it's a it's a good rock song, and it's it's got a, a very classic sound to it. Um, in this had a di- this did have a cover song in uh 2004. Hillary Duff and Haley Duff recorded it for the soundtrack to a Cinderella story. Oh, because it's got nice. like secretive themes or whatever. Are you trying to say that it's also secretly dirty? Uh, I don't know. No, I don't think. I so. don't know either. <laughs> No, um, but Funboy Three, uh, also uh, had done a, a version of it, and it's gloomier. Ooh, so 
Oh, is that song about like? Uh, it's probably about loose, masturbation. Loose, loose lips sink ships. Like, don't talk to, uh, don't talk to the government. Kind of. Th- I don't know. I don't. Know. Our lips are sealed. I'm not telling you a government. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, we're at the reunion. Uh, we also hear "Cruel Summer" by Bananarama. Yep, it's um, kind of in the, it's in the background. It's another one of those songs that could have just been anything. Yeah, and that's um, on the second soundtrack. I remember "Cruel Summer" more from the Karate Kid soundtrack. Is that because you were a Karate this. Kid? Yeah, I mean, no lie. <laughs> <laughs> it's no Labouche's "Be My Lover," but that's true. I, ne- <laughs> I never, I never fought anybody to it. That's true. Yeah. Yeah, that that one definitely has more of a, a Karate Kid association. It's yeah, it's it's got a just a different feel to it, a different vibe to it than yeah. with, it doesn't say high school reunion to me. Yeah. And so what happens in the scene, of course, uh her lie about inventing post-its is busted by Heather. And Christy makes fun of her, of course. Um it should again be noted. That Julia Campbell's laugh sounds like bells, like on a gentle breeze. <laughs> I but I probably would not want her to laugh at me directly. Yeah, you don't want that gentle breeze coming in your direction. No, because she she definitely does that like that very cruel laugh very very well, like the high pitched <laughs> mean squeal, like the routine. Yeah. Um. Mm-hmm. But uh, Michelle kind of comes to the rescue again and she says i think what's really for me the takeaway from this film which she's like you know i never thought our lives were that bad you know because we were just having so much fun and she's kind of a zen master in that moment just live for what is right now yeah but it's, it's a good message to take away from this yeah because ultimately it's, it's very easy to shit on your high school self but it takes a lot to love that high school weirdo that you were. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. and I take with myself, I take a much more Michelle approach to myself at high school because I look at who I was in high school and I was the coolest, most awesome version of myself. And I didn't have a great time in high school, but I was at least authentic. Like, I just sort of, like, lived for me, and I dressed the way I wanted to dress. And if Kyle Hessler didn't like that, Kyle Hessler can go fuck himself. So, <laughs> you know, that's just and, that. Yeah. And, you know, I, I very much knew who I was in high school, and I had made no bones about it. But, you know, I can't say the best version of myself was me at 17, because I've been a work in progress ever since. <laughs> well, I think the version of myself that – I don't think it was the best version of me, because I was, you know – high drama and insane but the version of me that i kind of wish i could be sometimes i had a lot of confidence i had the unearned confidence of youth and i wish i That's... had some of that back sometime mm-hmm. also i had this pair of platform dragon boots they were stretchy black like that fake stretchy leather they had dragons on the side four inch platforms and i would give anything to have them back anything they were the coolest shoes any human has ever owned so i had a, a pair of hand-me-down doc martens that i would wear to school and feel very uncomfortable in because they were actually terrible shoes <laughs> doc you gotta break in your own docs you can't wear second hand they have to conform to your feet and your feet alone i didn't know that when i was 15 i know 
It's uh, I know it now. Yeah. When I w- I know it now as a person who would not buy Doc Martens. Oh, I live in Doc Martens. I've got three pairs. I have I have converted to being a, a converse converse person that, at all times. That makes and sense. That actually, it actually helps my feet, yeah. which is a weird thing. Yeah. Nope. So it's it's therapeutic, and I hate saying that, but it's true. <laughs> nope. I'm Heather. I'm still Heather Mooney, like deep in my heart. I'm always gonna mm. be. I'm always gonna look like Heather Mooney. But uh, yeah, they 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 come out, and that's to uh, Banana Rama's Venus, which yes. is on the the, the first uh, soundtrack. On the real soundtrack. Yes. And this song, not one that I've ever loved. I actually like the original more. Mm-hmm. Talk about the original, because this, I guess, would be... There's a couple uh, covers on here. We didn't even touch on under the covers. Yeah, we hadn't even gotten to the cover side. But uh, yeah, so Venus is is a song by by a group called Shocking Blue. But it's a, it's a Dutch band, which actually... I, I don't even know if that's the version I know. <laughs> yeah, it must be. It's from the, from the 69, which this it sounds a lot more like something from like the late 50s early 60s like more i don't know it, it doesn't sound like a sort of psychedelic 60s song to me it sounds more like a of like a garage rock kind of mm-hmm. thing and then and then banana rama took it and turned it into you know whatever you want to call what banana rama does like 80s dance pop and you know it's a it's a good transition but i think the the very sort of jangly garage rock version fits better for the song and yeah i don't know i just i kind of just like the original better it's it's more my speed that's fair um yeah this this as far as covers does not really rock my world i've never really liked this song it does fit in the scene which is where they confront uh christy now wearing their very funky clothes and say the Mm -hmm. immortal line what the hell is your problem christy why are you always such a nasty bitch you get some kind of sick pleasure from torturing other people? I mean, yeah, okay. So Michelle and I did make up some lame story. We only did it because we wanted you to treat us like human beings. But you know what I finally realized? I don't care if you like us, because we don't like you. You're a bad person with an ugly heart, and we don't give a flying fuck what you think. This is where the film turns to complete fantasy. Yes. Because while it would be nice to confront your bullies... It's not going to go that way. I'm just telling you now. And everyone's not going to gather around and tell you how cool they think you are. You will also not get to do a beautiful dance routine with Alan Cumming two time after time in its second appearance in this film. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So although he does, he lands his helicopter and he comes in to Robert Palmer's Bad Case of Loving You, mm-hmm. which is hot. It just is. And and as it turns out, he has invented something that made him a millionaire. He invented what is it, a special kind of rubber that they use on basketball shoes. Yes, or tennis shoes. Tennis shoes. Okay. So He is the legitimate uh, self-made millionaire mm-hmm. that Romeo and Michelle kind of pretended to be. Yes. And I like that, although she does kiss him, when he's like, will you dance with me? She's like, yeah, but can Romy dance too? And so the film maintains its story about female friendship throughout. Mm-hmm. At no point uh, do they abandon it. And they dance again to time after time in a very, very weird dance routine that, again, you kind of just have to see. 
Right. It's it's one of those things you watch and go, did they choreograph this? Did they plan this ahead yeah. of time? No, but it it doesn't need to be. <laughs> you don't need to overthink it. But like then whenever um whenever Sandy will dance with Romy or Michelle, the other one will just be in the background doing like ballet moves and it's adorable. It is. It's pretty precious. <laughs> Very briefly, uh also playing here is Tears for Fears, Everybody Wants to Rule the World. Mhm. Uh which again, weird choice. Uh because it's a, a sort of an anti-government apocalyptic nightmare song. True, but when 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 you put it in the context of like a high school reunion, it's like everybody is the hero of their own story, and you know I'm gonna I'm gonna go to the high school reunion and tell off my bully. No, I'm gonna tell off my bully. yeah. And that's actually and the theme that runs you know. throughout is everybody made somebody else's life miserable. Exactly, and sometimes without knowing it, you know. Michelle wasn't trying to make Heather Mooney's life miserable, but she did because Sandy was in love with her and 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 not Heather. Yeah. And Heather made Toby's life miserable because she's always telling her to fuck off. And that makes Heather very very happy when she knows that like she could make somebody else miserable, which is a weird takeaway from this. But Yeah, it's it's odd, but then she's also like very eager to apologize because oh, sure, I'm in I'm a part of this cycle yes. now. Yes. I would love to sign your stupid yearbook. Um, yes. I do want to note, this is probably not the best use of this song. I would say the best use of this song, because it has featured in other movies, is in the elevator in Watchmen. A music version of it plays. And that is... I never yep, knew that. That, to me, was the best part of Watchmen, which is a movie I did not like. But I picked up on that, and I was the only one in my group that did. I'm like, that's funny. And I had to then explain it to everybody. See my see again. We're never going to talk about Watchmen in a Watchmen episode. So let's just do it now. <laughs> see my favorite song choice in Watchmen is when um, uh, Jeffrey Dean Morgan is is playing. You know, he's a government spook and he's he's killing people for fun on the streets. And they're playing Casey and the Sunshine Band's "I'm Your Boogeyman" because boogeyman has two connotations, and I think that's fun. Well, also, they are not playing the White Zombie version that we talked about last time. Absolutely not. No, because uh, White Zombie did not exist in the seventies. <laughs> Maybe they should have. Uh, that would have been great, <laughs> but also the the ver- the uh, use of everybody wants to rule the world that I'm fam- most familiar with is my dad and I watched a lot of Dennis Miller live on HBO when I was young, and that's the theme song for Dennis Miller live. Okay, that uh, doesn't explain anything about you, but I'm keeping an eye out. No, yeah, it's Dennis Miller used to have opinions that weren't crazy. Yeah, Dennis Miller did not survive had- the '90s. No, he's one of the people who's, who lost his fucking mind after 9-11. Yeah. So. But, like, the theme song for his show is, like, him standing next to, like, a, a whole bunch of giant dominoes of, like, po- with pictures of, like, world leaders and, you know, historical events on him as the dominoes are falling down. And he's walking around while the song. Oh, bless his heart. It's kind, it's kind of a nice intro, but yeah. let's move on. So, I um, very briefly, we get to see Billy Christensen one last time. He is just like, he's barfing in the bushes because he's just like a sad drunk. And uh, he tells Romy that he'd like to have sex with her. And she's like, yeah, go undress and wait for me upstairs. And she's going to leave him the way he left her. Now, did anyone ever do that to you? Like pretend they had a crush on you and then laugh at you? No. That's good. (laughs) When I was in ninth grade, this guy, Kyle Keller... Uh, told me that he had a crush on me. He's uh, friends with the guy who would later become my boyfriend. 
And he kept insisting on it, but I just wasn't into him, so I didn't pay attention. And his girlfriend, Amanda Dimmick, who was decidedly not Christy Masters because she was a doughy farm girl with a dumb face. Oh, boy. Uh, she kind of pulled the whole, like, I'm going to beat you up because my boyfriend's in love with you and all this shit. And I'm like, I really couldn't give less of a shit about Kyle Keller. Like, it's just not into me. We did see the movie Anastasia together. But again, it was, I was just like, okay, cool. I live up the street from the movie theater. I'll go to the movies with you. <laughs> Why not? And it turned out to be this whole big prank. Oh, God. Which is one of those things like, yeah, but I didn't like him. So joke's on me. He paid for my movie ticket, my junior mints. Whoops. I'm a big idiot, I guess. Okay. And the worst part was that my friend Caitlin Olson, I'm just calling out names on here because I don't give a shit. I want everyone to know these people are scumbags knew about it and didn't warn me because she's a dumb bitch and it's one of those like retroactively i got real mad about it and because it was just such like a hurtful mean thing to do to somebody but amanda dimmick's probably like in a miserable marriage where her husband's like a sad alcoholic now so I don't know what happened. Kyle felt bad about it years later. And like every time I would see him would apologize for it. Like, dude, it's fine. <laughs> like I've seriously, yeah, like, I've moved on. You're not that hot. You were like a dumb jock. Those are the smallest potatoes. Yeah. Could not give less of a shit. Yeah. So thanks for the fucking think... junior mints asshole. <laughs> so Kyle Keller, if you're listening, still don't care. <laughs> Wow. So airing out all the dirty laundry on the night show. I love yeah, it. Yeah, well, I have an awesome life now. I have a beautiful house and a hot husband, so uh, <laughs> I don't give a shit. And I'm I'm sort of living Rami and Michelle's high school reunion <laughs> in a lot of ways. <laughs> but that's the other the other part of the the scene with Billy there is like we find out his, more about his marriage with Christy and how actually broken it is mm-hmm. because he, he talks about, or he, he talks about how like, you know, she's pregnant with his third kid and it probably isn't mine. Yeah. So he, he, she's sleeping around on him and he fucking hates himself and is a drunk now. Yeah. So he, they didn't turn out great at all. Yeah. And that's such a, I mean, that's kind of a high school movie cliche that like, you know, the, the hot it couple, you know, the most popular girl in high school ends up miserable. Every- <laughs> Uh, where were we? Okay, so they've they've had their their big dance with uh, Sandy Frank, and it's been magical and wonderful. And now they get to leave with him on his helicopter. Yes. And they 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 straight up say that like they hope that everyone comes out to see them as they take off, and indeed they do. To uh, Belinda Carlisle's "Heaven Is a Place on Earth," which is a perfect yes. music cue. It's probably the best music cue in the the film. Yeah, like the best and most so- appropriate. Should we play a clip from that? We should play a clip. Do you know who's playing the keyboards here? No. Thomas Dolby. Really? Yep. Huh. Mm-hmm. Good for him. So, <laughs> so Livy, tell me about this song. Uh, this is actually from uh, 
her second album, Heaven on Earth, in 1987. So this would have just been playing, like, at their prom. Right. Um, it's... This one is one of those songs where I don't think about it very often, and then I hear it, and I think, this is the best song in the world for, like, five minutes, and then I forget about it. So, like, when I was watching this movie, I'm like, oh, man, this song's so great. I love it so much. And I have since forgotten about it. <laughs> but um, it is... This is this song was a huge deal. Um, it was in on the European Hot 100 singles. It was number one. It was number one in Ireland. It was number one in New Zealand, Norway, South America, Sweden, Switzerland, the UK, the US Billboard Hot 100. It was number seven on the US Adult Contemporary Billboard. This was a big deal. Yeah, but like for for my part, like it's it's a good song and I don't mind it, but it's a little cheesy for my taste. It is a little cheesy. Mm-hmm. And I think that just comes from hearing it everywhere yeah and like a lot of like 80s pop like this was very cheesy and you kind of just had to roll with it Mm -hmm. and yeah you're either like okay with that or you're not like like there's there's this and then there's uh katrina and the waves i'd rather have this than walking on sunshine exactly yeah yeah Yeah. um yeah in uh, 2017, Dave Faubert said this song has one of the greatest key changes in musical history. Um, he's wrong. The greatest key change in musical history is Ruby Baby by Donald Fagan from The Nightfly. It's okay. not his song. It's his cover. It's the greatest key change in all of history. I would have said the key change at the end of the thong song, but okay, that's fair. <laughs> uh, we're so different, you and I. <laughs> Okay, let, let me take that back. The most unnecessary key change in musical history is the key change at the end of the Fong song. That is an unnecessary key change. Like, hmm. It's like, really? Are we, are we really elevating this? How do we do that? Why? Why would we do this? It's the Fong song. So, um, and then we get, uh, we got the beat over the credits. And mm. the end scene of this film, where they own a boutique on Rodeo Drive, which brings us back to Pretty Woman. Which... Which I thought they were setting up for, like, a big Pretty Woman scene, and they didn't do it. No. Um, but they they have their boutique. Heather Mooney buys a dress, and they're happy. And again, neither of them sort of ended up with a dude. It's just the two of them. And the last line in the movie is, let's fold scarves. Let's and scarves. I love that. It makes me so happy. This is one of those movies that I will put on if I'm just in, like, a really sad mood. Mm-hmm. Because it always makes me happy watching it. And it really, especially in the 90s, women were given this real narrative, like Highlander. Like there can be only one and that you needed to sort of stab your girlfriends in the back. And so movies like Romeo and Michelle's High School Reunion and Clueless that celebrated female friendships were so important. Yeah, yeah. They were, they were very few and far between, too. So, like, yeah. when one would come out like this, like, it was a big deal. Yeah, and that they didn't pit the women against each other, which is still a problem we see in mm-hmm. media. And to have one where, you know, I mean, admittedly, they're white, they're somewhat, I wouldn't say affluent, but they're certainly not going hungry. 
Yeah, they're like middle class at worst. Yeah. You know, the, it does have its its problems. There really aren't any people of color in this film. But as as far as just celebrating female friendships, this is one of the best movies that does that. It's great. I love it. And also the last scene where they kind of play out what happened after the reunion and how uh, Sandy Frank gave them a, I guess, a, a loan to open, open up their shop. Mm-hmm. And they talk about how, oh, we can finally pay off that loan that, you know, this month, which resonated with me because the new Animal Crossing game came out and that game is all about paying off loans to build a bigger house. <laughs> no, Jesus. But yeah, then uh, that Romy's like, yeah, I don't think so. I think we're like two years out. She's like, okay, that's full of scars. It doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't matter. Let's go fishing. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So, and then it's, it's over. We got the beat, which again is one of those songs where it's it's such a classic song. Uh, mm-hmm. I spent three weeks at number two in the U.S. Billboard Hot 100 behind Joan Jett and the Blackhearts. I love rock and roll, which is not as good of a song. No. So, and especially you know the Go Go's were such a girl power band. Mm-hmm. So. You know, again, just celebrate women celebrating women. They were doing it before Parks and Rec made it cool. Yep. There it is. <laughs> they basically invented Valentine's Day. So. There you go. There you go. I And I believe it. I believe those two mm-hmm. have invented it. Wow. Which I love. Yeah, I, I, I had a really great time with this movie. Like, it was... Not one that I had ever seen back in the day because, like, I guess, you know, it came out, I was 10 years old, and I thought, oh, that's a girl movie mm-hmm. not for me. I've grown up and I've developed a broader taste, and it's it's a it's a great time. I had a fun mm-hmm. time watching it, which I, which I can tell Libby is listening and going like reading between the lines, like, "Oh, Joe slept through this, <laughs> no. one, didn't he?" No, no I didn't. And uh, actually, <laughs> uh, there's a lot of times I watch these. Sometimes I watch them with um, with my husband. Sometimes not. And I was sort of with this one. I was like, "Oh, you know, I'm gonna watch this. Do you want to be around with it?" He's like, "I don't mind that movie." Like, uh, you know, <laughs> that's I think that's a typical guy response. To yeah, this movie. I don't it's actually it. it's not so like, quote unquote, girly that it it pushes no. dudes aside. There's not a lot of kissing in it. <laughs> yeah, it's it's not very it's actually really not that romantic. Yeah. Now that I think. About so I'm um, do you what, you know, what are your, your thoughts on this as a soundtrack? Oh, uh, this I, I like a. Like I said earlier, I like a lot of the songs they've chosen for the soundtrack. And I think, I mean, of all the songs that they could have chosen, the ones they chose, I don't know. Like, I still don't understand the emphasis on the <laughs> Go-Go's, like beginning and end of the soundtrack. But uh, I think, you know, if you just had to pick 10 or 11 songs to put on a Romeo and Michelle soundtrack, you know, these are perfectly fine. It's just that there's so many other songs that you really could have mixed and matched mm-hmm. a lot of them. Yeah, this I I and, agree. Yeah. Um, I'm seeing the Go Go's and that girl power uh, theme. I don't. Sure. I would have gone with the Go Go's and not Belinda Carlisle. I would have dumped her. It's a great music cue, but just to have the Go Go's and her, I think. Is that's the oversaturation point right there? Yeah, like I think you could have taken that one off and then replaced it with, oh, um, you know, bad case of loving you. 
that's that's another like character mm-hmm. music cue that they could, they could have added. You know, Blood and Roses is already there, so why not? You know, so we, we've got the, the Heather Mooney cue, we've got the uh, Romeo cue, we got the Michelle cue. They, yeah. they, they didn't even put time after time on here, which I guess is is a is a, a mm-hmm. budget reason I have to assume. But uh, yeah, uh, there's no reason why they couldn't have put like all of the character music yeah, cues on the soundtrack. So. All right, so that's Romy Michelle's high school reunion, which means, Joe, it's your turn to pick. What are we doing next week? Next time, we're picking back up with our uh, Farrelly Brothers series, and we're going to be skipping Kingpin, but going straight to There's Something About Mary from 1998. I saw There's Something About Mary on a date. Oh, wow. I saw Something About Mary with my mom and dad. Oh, boy. Yeah. It was my first R-rated movie. This is going to be fun. <laughs> Welcome back to therapy, everybody. <laughs> oh, All right. So, Joe, where can they find you? Uh, they can find me. Our listeners can find me on Twitter at Cordial Wombat. Or you can find me on uh, the Christmas Creeps podcast at Christmas Creeps. We just recorded two episodes that are uh, not related to anything, uh, movies or TV shows. We decided, to, you know, since we're all locked in here together, we might as well uh, better ourselves with some uh, cooking recipes. Ooh, fun. So we got that coming up. Libby, where can they find you? You can find me uh, on Twitter at Libby Cudmore. You can find me on Instagram at record underscore Saturday. Or you can listen to me talk about uh, The Shield over at the Shattered Shield podcast. We're in season five. And I got a lot of things to say about oh, it. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so check that out. Yeah, for more thoughts on Julia Campbell's husband. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. So uh, that's going to do it for the OST party. But if you have any uh, questions or comments or recommendations, things you'd like us to do on on future episodes, you can send those to us at OST party on Twitter. Email those to us at ostpartypod at gmail.com. And uh, you know what? Share share this uh, show with a friend because I think we're all in need of desperate need of some good entertainment right now. And yes, two weirdos yelling about movie soundtracks. What's more fun than that? Exactly. And you know, find us on Twitter and yell about them with us. Yeah. We'd love to have you. Yell at us about how how wrong our opinions are because <laughs> I've gotten I got some uh, some comments about the Mortal Kombat episode. <laughs> I also got a comment from a friend of mine on Facebook who said uh, he he remembered bringing the cassette over to my house and then busting his ass on my skateboard. It's like, yep, that sounds about right. <laughs> that's sweet. Reconnecting uh, people. That's what OST Party is all about. That's us. So. so for the OST Party, I'm Joseph Wade. And I'm Libby Cudmore. Buy the ticket. Take the ride. Never, 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 never.